It's Monday, June 12th, 2023, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine, here again with your Daily News Roundup. On today's show, we're talking Bitcoin, top headlines, and more. And just for a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Bitcoin, Ether, and other top-traded tokens are down after tough weekend trading. That follows last week, where, of course, we saw the U.S. securities regulator go after Binance.us and the much larger publicly traded Coinbase exchange. But in doing so, they caused a lot of collateral damage, notably by naming more than a dozen tokens that they allege are unregistered securities, but haven't actually brought any charges or regulatory actions against any of them. This seems like a strategic move on the part of the SEC, which is still embroiled in one such lawsuit with Ripple Labs that's gone on for many years. By avoiding a direct fight with issuers of particular tokens, they turn each case against the exchange into an opportunity for, if even one token is determined by the court to be a security, the winning of that case, without ever needing to go up against a party with an existential interest in not being found a security. But the cost of that approach is that all the projects mentioned, plus others that aren't, are now being painted as if it's been proven that they're unregistered securities by the regulator. By stating this in the case against the exchanges as a fact, each of these token projects is denied the customary presumption of innocence until proven guilty by a preponderance of the evidence or beyond a reasonable doubt, depending on what court you're talking about. And in fact, these projects are not being given any opportunity to argue their case at all, since the SEC isn't actually going after them, at least directly. Irrespective of where you stand on the question of whether the name tokens are or aren't securities, and whether you think perhaps the tokens have any merits at all, there's little question that this is an unfair approach for the securities regulator to take, with plenty of collateral damage that continues to play out. In related news, a key metric tracking the crypto market liquidity tanked sharply over the weekend, leaving paper-thin order books that could further amplify price swings. Crypto research firm Highblock Capital's Global Bid and Ask Indicator, which aggregates the dollar amount of resting bid and ask orders for more than 1,100 coins listed worldwide, fell by a whopping 20% across spot markets just on Saturday. That sharp decline happened as alternative cryptocurrencies like Solana, Matic, Dogecoin, and others crashed amid rumors of a fund liquidating its coin holdings. And according to crypto hedge fund Asymmetric's chief investment officer Joe McCann, some market makers likely pulled out from the market during the altcoin crash, causing a sharp decline in the amount of resting bid and ask orders. Other observers, meanwhile, argued that the decline in liquidity stemmed from a single market maker running out of collateral. But irrespective of the reason behind it, the decline in liquidity means that markets could see above-average volatility following the next U.S. inflation data release and the Federal Reserve's rate decision. Those are all scheduled for later this week, and the Fed is, at least by most counts, expected to maintain the status quo in policy rates during their Wednesday announcements. And rounding up our market coverage this morning, popular trading platform Robinhood has seen a steep decline in crypto trading volume over the last month, the company reported this morning, even while volumes for equities and options remained high. The company reported that trading volume for cryptocurrencies dropped to $2.1 billion in May, down 43% from the prior month. And on a yearly basis, crypto volume slowed 68%, they said. Daily average trading revenue, also known as DART, which is a metric that tracks the average trade per day that generates commissions or fees, was down some 22% in May and 53% year-over-year for crypto trading. This is, at least in part, more collateral damage from the SEC's suits that we talked about a little bit earlier. Just last week, Robinhood delisted three tokens as part of its regular review, leaving only 15 cryptocurrencies available for trading on the platform, according to the company. The delisted tokens, which included Cardano's ADA token, Polygon's Matic token, and Solana's Sol token, were all named in the SEC's lawsuits against Binance and Coinbase. 
Today's crypto coverage comes courtesy of Coindesk Markets Analysts, Amkar Goodblay, Lila Ledesma, Shari Amawa, and James Rubin. Bitcoin is currently trading at $25,900. That's down a little bit less than 2% since our show on Thursday, while Ether is trading at $1,744 per ETH. That's down more than 5% over the same time period, according to the Coindesk Market Index. And speaking of the Coindesk Market Index, we're looking at an absolute reading this morning of 1,121. That compares against Thursday's reading of 1,174 and represents about a 4.5% loss across top-traded tokens over that time period. Taking a quick look at traditional markets, U.S. equity indexes were higher, with the Nasdaq Composite up 1.2%, while the S&P 500 and Dow Jones Industrial Average were each up by close to three-quarters of a point. In Europe, results were more mixed. The regional stock 600 traded flat, while London's FTSE 100 lost half a point, and Germany's DAX gained three-tenths of a percent. In Asia, prices were higher, with China's Hang Seng Index and the Shanghai Composite each up by about half a point, while in Japan, the Nikkei 225 rose by 2.5%. In commodities markets, Brent crude dropped significantly since our last check-in, down about 5.5% and back below $73 per barrel. Gold was essentially unchanged over the weekend at $1,973 per troy ounce, while First Republic's troubled stock lost another 6%, down to about $0.17 per share. Today's traditional markets coverage draws from MarketWatch. Stay tuned for After the Break, we'll be back with some top headlines. We'll be right back. Welcome back. In big picture news of the day, cryptocurrency custody firm BitGo has reached a preliminary agreement to buy Prime Trust, which is another crypto custody specialist regulated in the state of Nevada, according to two people familiar with the matter. The deal is preliminary at this point and still requires regulatory approval, according to one source. But it's an interesting story because Prime Trust has been the subject of some speculation, with people online suggesting the firm is facing bankruptcy, despite having raised more than $100 million in new funding late last year. The financial terms of the deal also haven't been disclosed, so we really just don't know what's going on here. But the sudden concern about the custodian had caused some customers, notably Jack Maller's Strike and Swan Bitcoin, to take their business elsewhere. This story might be a blip or it might be a big deal. It's too early to tell, but it's one we're watching. Elsewhere, Singapore-based exchange Crypto.com announced Friday that it will no longer be offering its services to institutional clients in the U.S., the exchange cited, quote, limited demand, end quote, from institutional customers in light of the current market landscape, which is, of course, a shorter and nicer way to say because the SEC is flailing around, scaring our potential pool of client companies who are themselves regulated in many cases by the SEC and don't want to be on the wrong side of this thing. Retail investors who use the platform will not be impacted by the decision, and services are expected to remain up here in the U.S. Meanwhile, Ethereum inventor Vitalik Buterin laid out a new roadmap for the network to follow over the next few years, arguing that the world's second biggest blockchain should push forward on key goals of Layer 2 scaling, wallet security, and privacy in a coordinated fashion. In a blog post titled The Three Transitions, Buterin wrote that the technical transitions need to be addressed simultaneously to maintain key components of the protocol while providing a, quote, global and permissionless experience to average users, end quote. He continued, These three transitions are crucial. But they're also challenging because of the intense coordination involved to properly resolve them, Buterin said. The first component, Layer 2 scaling, is crucial, according to Buterin, who argues that if Ethereum fails on this front, quote, every product aiming for the mass market inevitably forgets about the chain and adopts centralized workarounds for everything, end quote. The second component, wallet security, would involve moving all users' wallets over to smart contract wallets. Buterin argues it's needed so that users are comfortable with storing their cryptocurrency payments and data on-chain. Otherwise, they move over to centralized entities. 
Vitalik also suggested that the final component, privacy, is crucial. Otherwise, quote, Ethereum fails, end quote, as users will have all their on-chain activity visible for the public. He continued, quote, It's not just features of the protocol that need to improve. In some cases, the way we interact with Ethereum needs to change pretty fundamentally, requiring deep changes from applications and wallets, end quote. In other news, late last week, a U.S. district court ruled that Wyoming-based crypto bank Custodius challenge of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas's decision to deny them access to the Fed banking system can continue, rejecting a Fed motion intended to dismiss the case. As a reminder, back in October of 2020, Custodia applied to the Kansas City Fed for a master account. Without such an account, banks can't offer the same services as other institutions who we consider to be banks. Then, in August of the following year, Custodia applied to the Federal Reserve Board of Governors for membership, which would subject the bank to the Fed's oversight and regulations. Eighteen months later, in January of this year, Custodia was rejected in every single category the Fed assesses. The stated reasons were partly because of its crypto-friendliness, and partly because it was a state-chartered bank and not a nationally chartered one. In its rejection, the central bank claimed Custodia's decision not to federally insure deposits and Custodia's dependence on a vibrant cryptocurrency market made it a danger to itself and its customers. What went unstated, and all this is just my opinion, is that in contrast to the banking system the U.S. central bank has no problem with, Custodia's business model does not involve taking ownership of customer funds or using them to make money. And notably, it maintains a reserve ratio on deposits of 104%. To the point about the crypto market, when holding tokens on behalf of customers, those tokens are not valued in dollars, which would of course be volatile. But rather, they're valued as the number and type of the token itself, which obviously does not change irrespective of what the current price is and makes the volatility argument kind of irrelevant. But of course, the important thing is to remember that the U.S. Central Bank is responsible for the stability of the monetary and financial systems generally. And as the saying goes, when the situation is serious, you must lie. What seems to be the shabby secret behind the central bank's hostility towards full reserve banking certainly looks like its fears that it would be attractive and successful, essentially acting as an obvious escape valve for those trapped in bankrupt if not for bailouts by whatever name fractional reserve institutions. Those institutions, as we've seen over the course of the year, can only survive so long as depositors don't have a better option. Because of that, these banks desperately need insurance guarantees so they can tell depositors not to worry about their money, since it'll be insured even if the bank crumbles. The mere idea that there might actually be another way to have a bank account, where your money would actually be there even if you needed all of it on demand, is a form of competition that apparently can't be tolerated. But they also can't say that directly without drawing more attention to how weak and vulnerable the system that they've overseen truly is. And so, they apparently accuse safer, better-suited-for-the-moment alternatives of all the things that they themselves and their favored banks are on their face guilty of. Apparently stalling for time and wishing that those hoping to compete will just get the message and go away. And that strategy could work. It's certainly expensive and time-consuming and a question of what you want to spend your life on. But, with folks like Caitlin Long on the other side of the issue over a custodia, I wouldn't bet on it. And finally, the U.S. Department of Justice has alleged Russian nationals Alexei Bilyochenko and Alexander Werner were behind the 2014 Mt. Gox hack, at the time one of the biggest thefts in crypto history. The two allegedly gained unauthorized access to Mt. Gox wallets around September of 2011, the DOJ said in a press release Friday, which announced the unsealing of a 2019 indictment. They would then go on to steal some 647,000 BTC over the course of nearly three years. Those funds were then allegedly laundered, in part with the help of an unnamed New York exchange. There's a lot more to this story. You can check it out in the show notes. (music) 
And that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. Today's episode was edited by Ryan. And for those of you still with us, we'd love to hear what you think. You can send us an email at podcast at coindesk.com. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. 